This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, Back Talk from Bitch Media, Dan Savage, The Majority Report, Day USA, Activism from the Transgender Law Center, and Radio Dispatch. of ABC's 2020 had an epic interview with Bruce Jenner and he finally cleared up all the rumors regarding his identity. It turns out that he does identify as female and he does identify as transgender. Now, prior to this interview happening, there were a number of tabloids that were spreading rumors about him, treating the story as if it was some sort of joke. So naturally, people were a little hesitant to have someone like Bruce Jenner be interviewed about such a serious topic. But I have to give it to ABC's 2020 and Diane Sawyer. They did an excellent job raising awareness about something that people should know about in the country. Now, we have two snippets of the interview for you that I want you to see. I highly suggest you go online and watch the whole thing. It was a great interview. And you, it really clears up some of the torture that he's gone through his entire life. Let's take a look at the first video. Bruce, always telling a lie. He's lived a lie his whole life about who he is. And... Um, I, I can't do that any longer. So can I take my ponytail out? Yeah, why not? Huh? We're talking about all this stuff. Yeah, let's take the damn ponytail out. A symbolic moment after 65 years. In a sense, we start again. Are you a woman? Um, yes, for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. Now, he has not... He doesn't want to be referred to as she, which is why we will continue referring to him as he uh, in the segment. Well, actually, it was just for during the interview. Mm -hmm. So he said during the interview, it's he and mm -hmm. also for their family while they're still adjusting. Okay. But after the interview, it's she and Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So he, okay. So she would be appropriate for this one. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. good to know. I, d I didn't know A lot that of people were confused on that. So you're not, yeah. It was, okay. I actually went to a trans blog and was seeing and was like, oh yes, I did miss that. So. Yeah. So Jenner hasn't uh, specified what type of name she wants to use in the future. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. So I'm just going to keep using she yeah. and Jenner. Now, that was an incredible part of the interview for me personally, because you can see in his eyes just how hard it was to hide who he really, who she really was, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's a really difficult thing to do. She was married three times, uh, at this point divorced three times, and Jenner's had a number of kids and lived this life as this athlete, this American hero, and now all of a sudden you have to come forward about something that the vast majority of Americans are ignorant about. That's yeah. not to put Americans down, it's just that there isn't a lot of education out there about the transgender community, Completely. and to have someone who's such a huge public figure come forward with this is so incredibly important. Yeah, I agree. When I saw this, I actually got teary-eyed because I can just imagine the effect he's having in the South, or mm -hmm. she's having in the South, the... Um, the conversations that they're having in the Midwest mm -hmm. by seeing one of your heroes, yeah. the most masculine of men in the definition of how we define it, to win and uh, be an Olympian, to now be able to say, I was being tormented by not being able to live my truth. And it took me 65 years to come to a point where I can now live my truth. 
and have the support of my family around me, which was so amazing. Diane Sawyer, Sawyer did such an amazing job. Um, Andy Cohen and I were tweeting each other that mm -hmm. we were nervous of how she was going to handle this, and she handled it with grace. She did such a great job. I mean, I was really concerned because when it comes to mainstream media, yeah. establishment media, and especially a big public figure like Diane Sawyer, usually there's like this obsession with asking a lot of questions yeah. and, and kind of interrupting, but she did a good job in just letting him speak yes. and kind of tell his story. Mm -hmm. And I have a tremendous amount of love for his family because they support him, her, and they, I'm sorry, this is difficult. Obviously. No, no, definitely. And let me yeah, say something. And I'm not else. doing it to be disrespectful. No, and let me speak up on that because a lot of people were getting real sensitive. I work in the um, LGBT community, obviously, as mm -hmm. an activist. And trans people are not offended when you try to correct yourself. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make sure anyone out there who's hearing this story, want to talk about this story, if you're at a place where you're not sure what gender pronoun to use, you know, you can always say they. You can also say I apologize immediately like you've done. Yeah. So um, I just think that's important to say because a lot of people are like, oh, well, let me not speak about this because I don't want to mess up. Right. And you know? it's it's difficult not to mess up. Yeah, you know? it's, it's very difficult. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So that was the first part of the interview I wanted to show you. Now, another part of the interview that I found fascinating was the fact that she still identifies as a Republican and a religious Republican at that. So, you know, for someone like me who's had to deal with a lot of stories involving conservative individuals disenfranchising and discriminating against those who are in the LGBT community, it was kind of difficult for me to hear that part of the interview. We have it for you. Take a quick look. God's looking down, making little Bruce. Okay? He's looking down and he says, okay, what are we, uh, we going to do with this one? Make him a smart kid, very determined. And he gave me all these wonderful qualities. And then at the end, when he's just finishing, he goes, wait a second. We've got to give him something. Everybody has stuff in their life that they have to deal with. You know, what are we going to give him? And God looks down and chuckles a little bit and goes, you know, hey, let's give him the soul of a female. And let's see how he deals with that. Yeah, pretty amazing. But that Republican thing, <laughs> I really do think that's going to change immediately. Yeah. Just, uh, and not to go back again to the white privilege, mm -hmm. um, or harbor on that. I think that's the male, the white male that he was perceiving to be, mm -hmm. that was making him believe that, okay, I, I can be a Republican because once he starts to realize how many laws are against him and laws that are changing to be against um, her, excuse me, mm -hmm. see, we all make the mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, I think she'll immediately come to the realization that being a Republican and being an open transgender person, you're now going to be faced with ridicule, ridicule, and yes. I think that will quickly change and her political ideology. Yeah. I think that's that's feasible, especially when you consider, you know. It's one thing to have one issue that you're passionate about and be against a political party because they don't agree with you on that issue. Yes. But this isn't just an issue. This is his identity. Mm -hmm. And when you have a political party that believes that your identity makes you strange or weird or abnormal, mm -hmm. well, it's really hard to agree with them, even if you agree with their fiscal policy and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just I want to give her a lot of credit for coming forward with this. It's not easy to be in your 60s, in your mid-60s, and have all these children and ex-wives and come forward with something like this. It's that, that's the biggest piece. That takes real bravery and courage to yeah. get to that place, that age where you're like, I can't do it anymore. And that shows how true 
um, and how much of a struggle it was for her to live with this demon and finally was able to just live her truth. Because I'm like, to be 65, I don't know if I would have the courage at that point to just speak my truth. I'd be like, well, I've lived this long. No one else knows. Especially when you're a public figure. Especially when you're a public figure. It would just goes to show for anybody out there who doesn't understand what it is to transition or to have to you know have issues with your gender identity it's really something that's in your soul it's not something you just wake up one morning and say i'm going to choose to be someone else there's deep seated this is who i am and and this is a great example of the strength it takes i want to live where so Bruce Jenner's interview was last Friday. Friday night. <laughs> and uh, Bruce Jenner was talking with Diane Sawyer on ABC, and it was, there was so much hype leading up to the interview, and kind of like, a, a, won't Bruce Jenner talk about, um, come, will, will they come out as being trend, uh, transgender or not? And it turned out that Bruce Jenner did decide to use this two-hour special uh, to come out as being transgender. And oh, it was a really interesting special, and I think it did a good as job as it could possibly do um, to introduce the majority of folks who may not understand, uh, I guess may not, may not know transgender folks in their own lives, and this might be their first introduction to um, the notion that somebody can be transgender. Yeah, so Bruce Jenner, I have to say, I did not know who Bruce Jenner was until like a month ago. Um, somebody wrote in, a, a writer who works for us, who writes about transgender issues a lot, and said, oh, this is like this really big deal that's going on, it's coming up. And I was like, who is Bruce Jenner? have to Google this right now. It turns out that Bruce Jenner uh, is a very famous reality TV star and uh, former Olympic athlete who is sort of involved with the Kardashian clan. Right like a, some sort of figure in the Kardashian clan as far as I can gather. Well, back in Jenner's heyday, they were known as... Bruce Jenner was like a huge star for being a, like a decathlete, decathlon eat. I don't know how to... Decathlon eat? <laughs> but, like, but like the ultimate athlete. Is that right. the person that skis while shooting? No, it was a summer a summer Olympic oh. sport. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then in most, in most recent pop culture, like... Um, because Bruce Jenner was married to Kris Jenner, who's the mom of the Kardashian sisters. Um, so that's why, like, I think that Bruce Jenner became super famous again. Okay, so so after this interview, uh, well, I think during the interview, Bruce said that, that um, he's sticking for now with the name Bruce and using whatever pronoun people want to use. Glad put out a um, press release during the interview that said, the most appropriate thing to do and the most respectful thing to do is to continue using he and to continue using Bruce. The Bruce said in another in an interview that people could use whatever pronoun they want. He doesn't care. Right, because they're comfortable with their own gender identity. Yeah. Yes. So, um, but I thought that this was a good sort of primer for, I guess, most folks in America who, I think during the interview, Diane sort of threw out a stat that said that um, only 8% of Americans know somebody who's transgender in their life. So this could be a good, like an eye-opening thing, but 
there was like a, an aspect of this being sort of like a spectacle. Um, and also because of uh, the months and maybe even years of like, you know, late night talk show hosts making jokes about Bruce Jenner's appearance and, um, you know, bordering on transphobic remarks about um, how Bruce Jenner looked or like what's changing about their um, appearance and everything. So there is that aspect where I thought it, it it's good for visibility for the trans community. But then there's another part of it where we have to think about that Bruce Jenner's um, narrative of being a trans person isn't the only narrative about what it means to be a trans person. And I think that that needs to be talked about more, especially when we think about like the decades of um, trans activist work that many people have done and mostly um, women trans women of color have done right yeah i was just at the grocery store yesterday and there was um like i think like us weekly and okay were right next to each other and bruce jenner was on the cover of both of them and one said bruce jenner's miracle journey and one cover said bruce jenner suicide watch tragic story and i was like oh this is like this is the tabloid treatment of sort of a transgender narrative is either you can be a miracle story or you can be like, you're on suicide watch. Right. Um, and they can take the same information and spin it both ways. And that I think that, like, it's great for Bruce Jenner to come out for visibility reasons, but that they're still going to get slotted into box A or box B and that it's really important for people watching and reading the tabloids to think about, like, this is not the only story. Right. I mean, like, definitely when I was watching it, Oh, my heart, like, melted, because I just thought, like, here's a person who's 65, and now they finally get to become their whole true selves to the world. Like, congratulations. Like, I'm so happy for this person. Really, that was, like, it was so, it made my heart melt. And then, you know, I had to, like, settle down and think, like, well, what are the implications for trans folks across America? And what are the implications for them if they don't have the same narrative? Because we have to think about who Bruce Jenner is and the background, their, their background, because, like, I mean, before coming out as a trans person, Bruce Jenner, you know, is like a, a wealthy, like, like straight white guy. And um, there's a lot of privilege that comes with that. And so I was reading a story by a writer named Kay Yolande Barrett, who wrote a piece for Fusion.net called What Trans People of Color Fear After the Bruce Jenner Media Circus. And uh, we actually have an, a Q&A with Kay Yolande Barrett in our food issue of Bitch, which is number 61, which came out in winter 2014. So pick it up and check it out. Yeah, they're like a cool activist, right? Yes. Identifies as a disabled, queer, trans, Filipino activist and artist. And this article does a really great job at talking about um, the perspective from trans folks of colors and who are activists who have done a lot of work for the trans community. And I thought this was a really good piece. And um, let's see, Barrett talks with three trans folks of color and what their perspective is on this. And then there's also a really great quote from Barrett that says, the emphasis on Jenner's announcement focuses on a limited portrayal of transgender lives there isn't one exceptional experience, but a plethora of pathways to be trans. Because another focus about Bruce Jenner's special was about Bruce Jenner's transition. And we all have to, we have to understand that like not all trans people transition, and that's their experience of being trans. So it, it's great for Bruce Jenner, but it might also present a really limited narrative about like what a trans person looks like in America. So we just have to keep that in mind, I think, as we like follow Bruce Jenner along on Jenner's journey to becoming 
their whole true self. It's something unattainable that you can't live without. Here at Best of the Left, we know that it's not enough just to stay informed. You need to get active if you actually want to change the world for the better. That's why we promote great activism opportunities every chance we get. Also, I can only reach so many people on my own, but with your help, we can extend that reach. The episode show notes are most likely available on the device you're using to listen right now, and if they're not, you can see them on the website. Simply click the title of any segment you want to share and then easily post it to your social networks or send it directly to friends. You joining these actions and helping amplify the show to get even more people involved is critical to our mission to change the world for the better. Get started right now in the show notes on the device you're using or visit the website from any device at bestoftheleft.com. What I'm going to talk about at the top of today's show, of course, is Bruce Jenner, who came out in a really uh, very well-done interview on ABC News last Friday night, uh, conducted by Diane Sawyer. Uh, kudos to Diane Sawyer and her whole team who put that special together. It was so much less exploitative and sensationalistic than I think a lot of us in LGBT land feared it might be, considering network news, considering the Kardashian connection, considering all of it. It was just sensitive and smart and a terrific primer or primer, I'm never sure how to pronounce that word, on uh, trans issues. And as uh, I believe Jenny Boylan pointed out on CNN later, now America knows they know someone who's trans. 70-80% of all Americans know someone who's gay or lesbian or bisexual. Uh, they always knew us. People always knew gay, lesbian, and bisexual people. They just didn't know they knew them because most gay, lesbian, and bi people weren't out. But now most of us are, and people know us, and that has created this sea change in public attitude towards LGB civil equality. But most Americans, only 7% of Americans, know somebody who's trans. And what Bruce Jenner accomplished that night was Bruce Jenner, who's been a pop culture figure for 40 years, became the trans person that most Americans now know. He put a face on these issues. Yes, I called him he, because... As Glad has pointed out, that is the pronoun that Bruce Jenner, who also still is going by Bruce Jenner, would like us to use for the time being. He's not yet let us know what his pronoun preference is, but for the moment, it's he. And this, this caused a lot of trouble on Twitter, right? Caused not just me, but a lot of people trouble because the Twitter thought police were out in force after the interview, scalding and burning and throwing up on and blowing up at Anybody who called Bruce Jenner he, him, his, in the wake of his coming out as trans. And he did. He came out as trans. And the interview, that wasn't the only problem in that interview for people who wanted to address this issue appropriately and sensitively in its wake. Because not only did Bruce Jenner come out as trans and then request that people continue to use a masculine pronoun for the time being, Here's what Glad had to say about it. At this time, Bruce Jenner has not requested that a new name or pronoun be used. Therefore, we are respecting his wishes and will continue to refer to Jenner by his current name and with male pronouns. Glad has trans people in, on the board. Glad is exquisitely sensitive to trans issues. And here's Glad saying we're to call Bruce him his. Use masculine pronouns. Call him Bruce for now until we hear from Bruce about what Bruce wants. That wasn't the only mindfuck that Bruce Jenner treated us to uh, in the wake of his interview. He also 
had this to say. Jenner has never been sexually attracted to men, and he wanted to make that clear to viewers that gender identity and sexual identity were separate things, reported the Associated Press. I am not gay, Jenner said. Who just come out as a woman, remember? I am, as far as I know, heterosexual. I've always been with a woman raising kids. So Jenner comes out as a woman and then insists that he's not a homosexual because he's a woman who's always been in relationships with other women. Having a hard time figuring out how to address that particular wrinkle in the interview. Also, at the end of the interview, toward the end of the interview, Bruce Jenner came out as a conservative Republican. And slightly teabaggy, actually, where he cited the Constitution, that he values the Constitution, that's why he's a conservative Republican. I heard from a trans friend that said, that sounds kind of like teabagger shit. Which is ironic. You know, I'm a Republican and I'm a conservative Republican because I love the Constitution as if liberals and progressives in the Supreme Court today are not citing the 14th Amendment of our beloved and lovely Constitution as an argument for legalizing same-sex marriage because it is constitutional. 14th Amendment, equal protection under the laws for all citizens. LGBT Americans are citizens deserving of equal protections under the law because of the Constitution. We liberals, we like the Constitution too. So loving the Constitution... It's not enough. It's not an argument enough to say, to distinguish yourself from other people politically. We all love the Constitution, right? And that kind of blew my mind. Like, this interview was great. It was so great. And yet, these three landmines that Bruce Jenner set in the pads of everyone who wants to talk about his coming out as trans and the issues that it raises... The pronoun thing, which excites so many people on Twitter. I had people blowing up at me on Twitter for using masculine pronouns, and I, would, I kept sending them the links to the GLAD statements and what Bruce wanted, and then they would blow up at me some more. And other people, I saw trans people blowing up at trans people for misgendering Bruce. So there's that landmine. Then there's a landmine of Bruce Jenner is a woman who's only ever had relationships with women, therefore he's not gay. And then this, he's a conservative Republican. We have been talking on this show for a long time about what conservative Republicans are doing all across the country to trans people, these anti-trans bathroom bills that make the world a much more dangerous place than it already is for trans women in particular because they frame trans women, frame in both senses, you know, frame for a crime but also kind of create a, a, a frame culturally as a discussion they frame the conversation around this assumption that trans women are sexual predators who are sneaking into women's restrooms to assault women or just get off on peeing next to women. And this this fuels a lot of anti-trans violence, this sense that trans women are dangerous sexual predators, which they are not. Who are cisgendered women attacked by routinely and regularly cisgendered straight guys? And it's typically cisgendered straight male politicians who are pointing a finger at trans women and saying, oh, look, there are the real baddies, those women over there. Worry about them. And so it seems to me now that Bruce Jenner is out as trans. We, we've been through in the Republican, we've talked about this too, we've been through in the Republican nomination contest for president, all of the candidates being asked whether or not they would go to a gay wedding. And that was really interesting to watch because most of them said they would not. A few said they would go to the reception, but you know, we went through that. Like all the Republican candidates had to go on the record about gay weddings and whether they would t attend. Now, now it seems to me that the legitimate 
question, all legitimate question that should be put to all these right-wing batshit nutbags who are running for president, is where Bruce Jenner, their fellow Republican, should pee. It's an entirely legitimate question because the person who gets the nomination, particularly if that person wins the election, but if they get the nomination, they become the de facto leader of the Republican Party. And look around the country. Who's pushing these anti-trans toilet bills all over the country that is making an already dangerous world for trans women even less safe? Republicans. So the de facto leader of the Republican Party and the people auditioning to be the leader of the Republican Party should have to be asked that question, should have to answer for that. That's a Republican policy position that's being pushed by Republicans all over the country. So Marco Rubio, where should Bruce Jenner go to the bathroom on his way to vote for you if he ends up voting for you? Jeb Bush, where should Bruce Jenner go to the bathroom? Ted Cruz, where should Bruce Jenner go to the bathroom? These are questions. I know there's a lot of political reporters out there and campaign reporters who listen to my show. I'm talking to you guys and gals specifically right now. You can legitimately ask Ted Cruz, Rick Santorum, Mike Huckabee, Rand Paul, all of them, where should Bruce Jenner pee now that he's out as a trans woman who is not a homosexual, who has only relationships with other women, and please use masculine pronouns for now. Where should he pee, Marco Rubio? We have a right to know where all you right-wing Republican assholes running for president stand on where Bruce should sit. Here is conservative talker Steve Deese lamenting and explaining how bizarre this all is for him. And I got to thinking earlier today, <clears throat> pardon me, if, if you look for a symbol of the loss of a civil society, I wonder if you look no further than Bruce Jenner. I remember as a little boy, Bruce Jenner was the picture of American masculinity. Olympic medal winning decathlete. That's one of the toughest things in the world. You've got to master 10 events at an elite level. So I don't want to take anything away from someone who's a professional in any sport. The time, the energy it takes to get to that level. Yes, you have to have the talent, but you've got to hone it. Because everybody there has got talent. It's the time, energy, preparation you put into that talent. Makes a difference. And look what the odds are of doing it in one sport. Look what the odds are of being world class in one sport. One. Infinitesimal. Then try doing it in ten. 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 That's nuts. 
Bruce Jenner did it. The original Wheaties cover boy when I was a kid. But does anybody think about that now when they think about Bruce Jenner? What do you think about? Well, it appears he's succumbing to transgender. I think it's a disorder. I think it's a mental disorder. And you can quote me on that over at Right Wing Watch today. I mean, I, I think that there is something psychologically wrong with someone, and probably spiritually as well, that requires counseling and prayer, not enabling. When something is basic and fundamental, uh, I mean, as your own gender, you doubt within yourself. When you came out of your mama, did the doctor say, here's your question mark? What did he say? It's a boy. Or it's a girl. You're born with certain parts. Made in the image of God. That's how he chose to make you. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently, you didn't see the interview where Jenner talked about he struggled with this his whole life. His whole life. And I don't know what uh, Deese thinks. It, I mean, if I mean, you're that age, you're that young, two, four, whatever it was, five, when Jenner had these feelings, this awareness. I mean, if you watch the interview, you get the sense that he, uh, Bruce Jenner, wouldn't have become the athlete he became if perhaps not for what he was struggling with. I give you one does get that sense. So without him being transgender, he may have never even been the sports superstar that this guy is. Well, that's what Deese, about. I mean, you understand what Deese is struggling with here and what the uh, other right, well, those people who can't accept this, that's what they're struggling with here. It's that, their perception of the world is not what the world is. That they are struggling with the, with the difficulty of their own sort of naivete and ignorance. How is it that my, my biggest as a kid, my biggest masculine role model, was in fact only that big masculine role model because he was trying to deal with the fact that he was felt that his gender was wrong. <laughs> the guy just can't deal with it. So what do you do if you're if you're decent and you cannot you don't have the emotional maturity, and you'll never get to it. I mean, maybe maturity is not the wrong way. It's development. development. To deal with this, well, of course you have to say that, like, he's just sort of broken in a way and refuses to get help. Because that's what he's saying, right? He's saying that Jenner is just succumbing to his mental illness, and is refusing to get help. He has a curable affliction, but you can lead a horse to water. You just can't make him drink. That's where the problem is. The problem's not with me. 
and everybody else who uh, feels that way in terms of their gender, they've got the problem too. And I don't have a great rational argument for that, so God. I just dropped the God bomb. I just dropped the God bomb. So, end of conversation. Take that, right-wing watch. <laughs> Let God sort it out. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk from the banner at bestofleft.com to shop at just one of the major companies with the insatiable profit incentive to help perpetuate the destructive paradigm of overconsumption and exploitative capital. Better yet, go ahead and click through to the Amazon site that serves your country just once and then bookmark it to use every time you shop, which should be as rarely as possible. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whether that be rejecting consumerism altogether or at least consuming in a subversive way. Bruce Jenner was, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people beforehand who said, oh, publicity stunt, I'm not watching that, no, that's ridiculous. I, w I certainly watched it, and 17 million people watched it, which was almost three times the normal uh, audience for that ABC time slot on a Friday night. I thought it was terrific, and I thought... I thought the program held the two hours, which I rarely say about anything. Uh, I thought uh, that it, it was inter it was fascinating to me, and I thought completely genius that he was interviewed in the midst of his transition. That he didn't wait until he had fully transitioned to Wants do it. Wants to still be called he for the moment. For the moment, because he's in transition. And to talk to him at that moment, to let people into this story at the moment when he is still figuring it all out and figuring out who he is and how he's going to be uh, perceived, I thought was genius. And the revelatory things to me were he's been struggling with this since he was 10. Cross-dressing as a child, uh, secretly running out into the, uh, you know, when he could. All his life, going out in public, passing, uh, cross-dressing, and taking hormones for five years in the mid-80s, and then uh, not being willing to take the final step and pulling back. It right. was all absolutely compelling well, and fascinating. He also has come out as a Republican. And, uh, you know, that got, didn't we'll, surprise we'll, me. we'll see how far, how long that identity holds. Rich athletes are often Republicans. Uh, and, he, you know, he is a transgender. He certainly would describe himself as a transgender woman who is sexually attracted to women. At the uh, moment. Which, well, all right. I mean, usually eroticism doesn't change with these things, but uh, Well, we just don't know. And who he knows? doesn't know. And he is still in the process of figuring out a lot of stuff. But I thought he was, you know, people have described him as brave and courageous. And I thought he was. And I thought he was thoughtful. And he wasn't always likable in the interview, I thought. No. But, uh, but he it was... It was real. It was 
definitely real. And the, and the most charming moment is when he said, you know, about the Kardashian shows. We've done over 400 shows, and uh, the only real story was right. the one it's I wasn't true. telling. Well, <laughs> this ABC thing was produced by my old friend David Sloan and hosted by your old boss, Diane Sawyer. Exactly. Uh, and I, I thought they did a really, really good job, and I think they, uh, what they did was make the subject serious. Yes. And every, uh, almost every commentary I've uh, seen or heard about it has been people taking it seriously, and that is such a tremendous gift to the world to have this open, serious conversation. Now he's got the E! Uh, reality show series coming up in a m couple of months. And again, people are saying, oh, you know, this was enough. Why does he have to do that? That'll cheapen it. Uh, uh, come on, you just saw that it could be treated seriously. Why are you casting aspersions on that? Right. Give he's it a got chance. The, he's got the support of uh, almost everybody in his family, too, which is nice. Yes, exactly. His kids, who he was most nervous about. And Kanye. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Kanye was very good. He said Kanye was the best. Yeah, and Kanye taught the family how to understand it. Yeah. All right, so thank you to Bruce Jenner. Uh, we appreciate your willingness to do this. You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, transgender people and the police, rights and resources. Bruce Jenner's national TV interview will undoubtedly give a visibility boost to the transgender community and force a less aware demographic in our country to at least learn some new terms and possibly foster a base level of respect and courtesy. This, the third in our activism series focusing on law enforcement, recognizes that trans people as a group are not privileged with the resources Jenner has afforded, leaving them more likely to be brutalized by both private citizens and the police, especially if they are people of color. According to the Transgender Law Center, 47% of black, transgender, and gender nonconforming people have experienced incarceration. In Baltimore, a transgender woman named Diaria Michelle Venable was arrested and spent four days in a man's prison after after being forced to wear a sheer thermal shirt without her bra, a purposeful humiliation that left her especially vulnerable to assault. Her story is terrifyingly common. Transgender woman Ashley Diamond, who has lived openly as a woman since her teens, has been incarcerated in a Georgia men's prison since 2012. Diamond has been denied her hormone therapy, causing physical distress from the withdrawal, and in addition to humiliations from the guards, has been raped several times by other inmates. The Transgender Law Center, Sylvia Rivera Law Project, and National Center for Transgender Equality have a comprehensive set of resources detailing the rights of trans people when interacting with law enforcement. Posting the links on your social media feeds and taking the information with you to direct actions can help you help protect those most vulnerable at protests and marches. The Sylvia Rivera Tips for Trans People Dealing with Cops and Jails graphic folds into a pocket-sized bilingual pamphlet broken into On the Street and in Public and If You Have Been Arrested sections.
the National Center for Transgender Equality's Participating in Direct Actions, a guide for transgender people, breaks down additional risk factors such as immigration status, past arrests, medical needs, and housing status. It also outlines tactics like surrounding the most vulnerable with those who have more privileged demographics and challenging the separation and searches of trans people. Legal resources and alternatives to street action are important information for organizers and activists to have. Please use the links in the segment notes to post the available information to your networks, on event pages, and carry it with you when you attend demonstrations. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional resources, and as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestofleft.com. If the ethical treatment of trans people matters to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about the rights and resource guides from the Transgender Law Center via social media so that they can get to who needs them. Come on out from in front of the television. Bust out of your self-imposed media prison. There's a whole big world out there, y'all. And some serious stuff is going down. Civil war intolerance, AIDS obliteration. The usual madness, but not enough frustration about what's troubling Earth's nations. The spotlight will not be your savior in these dark days, and it will not be your saving grace. Why not replace your dreams of gracing life stage with action? We welcome back to the show Parker Malloy, Upworthy Trends writer. Parker, thank you so much for coming back on Radio Dispatch. Hey, thanks for having me back. We are super excited to have you on to talk about this uh, Diane Sawyer uh, interview with uh, with Bruce Jenner that I think was seen by something like 18 million people. It was this huge, huge uh, phenomenon. So uh, can you just start off by giving us your uh, general takeaways of the interview? Yeah. I mean, overall, I thought that the Bruce Jenner interview was pretty good. You know, I mean, it I it was something that I and a lot of others were really worried about because the way that trans people are talked about on TV tends to be uh, awful. So um, so it was one of those things that it was pleasant. It was a pleasant surprise to see that um, to see how things were handled, you know, what they emphasized, what they didn't emphasize, the other um, information outside of. Bruce Jenner specifically that they added in there, you know, about just kind of like background on trans issues, which was cool. Yeah, it seemed to me like uh, I, I kind of went in with a with a, uh, a similar skepticism uh, because it seemed like a lot of trans people were worried that this was going to be really disrespectful and, and maybe more damaging than 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 neutral or than good. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, I mean, as a, a, by the end of it, I was I was wondering, you know, of course this will still be, uh, of course people will still be really transphobic about this, and of course because it's so much in the public eye, it will lead to a lot of public. Um, transphobia, but it seems like there was also a lot of, it seems like there's a real potential for a positive conversation to come out of somebody as famous as Jenner transitioning so publicly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I 100% agree. I mean, I I feel like the people worried that Bruce Jenner's going to jump in and, you know, declare themselves, you know, the uh, you know, spokesperson for all trans people everywhere in the world. Uh, I think that that's kind of an unfounded fear. What's going to happen here and what makes this important are the conversations that are going to be had outside of the context of Bruce Jenner, because 
this isn't this isn't about Bruce Jenner. I mean, the interview was, but everything that follows is kind of just America trying to catch up on trans issues and well, try might be too big of a word, but you know, <laughs> might might do slightly more than nothing. Uh, so does does the fact that, that this interview uh, went as well as it did mean that all of these teachable moments that uh, that you've talked about on this show may have actually led to a certain amount of kind of collective cultural learning? I, I hope so. Uh, for some reason, I, I I'm just cynical. So you know, I I, th- I feel like it's something where you know it. People ignore the teachable moments, but then when they see a celebrity, they go, oh, okay, we should listen to this. So when things happen to people who aren't Bruce Jenner, they're, you know, really, they just ignore it. But when it's Bruce Jenner, people pay attention. So, I I mean, I think this really has to do with it being a big name person that people were finally like, oh, okay, we'll take this seriously. Like, Glad put out a little like reference guide for how to cover the Bruce Jenner interview with like pronouns and stuff like that. And I saw someone on CNN, someone from CNN on Twitter talking about like, oh, hey, look, here's this thing that we're following now. Well, when Chelsea Manning came out, CNN like notoriously kept referring to her as Bradley Manning and he because she quote unquote hadn't transitioned yet or something like that, where it's just like, oh, okay. So when it's not someone who's on reality TV. I see how you treat trans people. <laughs> and that was something. That was something that I was because I, I came in a little bit late and I missed what. However, they debriefed about pronouns for gender, and it was a little bit strange because uh, Diane Sawyer was using male pronouns, but it, it also seemed like that was. It was at least something that ABC had had said uh, explicitly, like we are aware of the pronouns issue. Which even right is that is that what happened? Yeah, I mean, well, they said that they said that Bruce Jenner had um, kind of informed them that you know, for the purposes of that interview, to use um, masculine pronouns. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, I feel like the whole the whole setup was kind of one of those uh, almost like, oh, well, I'm not a woman yet, so give me time. You know, one of those weird kind of old timey views uh-huh. <laughs> of trans people, where it's like, so now you're supposed to disappear for a few months, and then you reemerge like a butterfly. Where it's like, that, that's not something most trans people can do. You know, it's like most of us just kind of have to keep, you know, living life. So, you know, we don't have this opportunity to hide away and then to emerge and nonsense like that. So, I feel like that's kind of what's going on with the whole like, no, I won't tell you my new name. No, you know, don't use, you know, feminine pronouns for me yet. You know, stuff like that. It's just kind of old timey. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, and uh, as, as you mentioned, there's obviously a, a huge amount of, of kind of privilege that comes from being a celebrity uh, and from being just as rich as, as Jenner is. And it, it seems like... Uh, like Jenner really tried to to call that out and and say you know I'm aware of the the privilege that I have and that that we need to remember that uh, that uh, trans youth face uh, disproportionate levels of violence and homelessness and and poverty and so I think that that um, you know that it's it's good that that uh, is something that Jenner is trying to keep in the conversation even when it's still mostly a celebrity uh, show. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's, you know, that was great when, you know, there was that line that was, you know, I'm not a spokes, this, a spokes, the spokesperson for 
you know, trans rights and then shifted right into, you know, talking about violence against trans women of color. It's like, good. You realize that this is not just about you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I think that there, there were portions of that where it's just like, I feel like likely Jenner was coached on that, which is great. You know, that there were people out there want, you know, willing to take the time to kind of make that work. But, um, yeah. So, and one of the moments that has gotten, of course, a lot of, uh, attention is the fact that Kanye was the one who brought <laughs> Kim around. And, I mean, that is just so amazing because it's very easy for me to imagine a time when, you know, the most famous rapper in the United States, like the number one dude, uh, would, would not be the, also the person, you know, who, like, uh, who, you know, who has a kind of, uh, a trans, um, parent-in-law to, to, would not be the person who would be the first person to say, listen, it's okay to be yourself. And so that was one of those things. Obviously, it's all still this kind of like micro um, uh, celebrity, you know, it's just this one family. But it seemed like that was a really positive indicator in terms of just that being a big change from, from really any time in the past that we can imagine this conversation playing out in public, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that was, it's just kind of shocking. It's stunning. It's kind of awesome, <laughs> you know, where it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's like my, I don't even know how Kanye is technically related to Bruce Jenner because it's like Bruce Jenner was Kim's father, stepfather, so it's stepfather-in-law, I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, it's still, it's like, okay, so someone who's related and it's not you, trans person, you know, it's okay, cool, be yourself, this is awesome. Um, I think that that's great, and I think that, you know, this kind of, Goes, goes back to, you know, people criticize Kanye West for a lot of stuff where it's just like, seems like he's just a hardworking dude. So, yeah. you know, and, and this is just kind of that, like, work hard and, you know, take, take care of yourself, be yourself and stuff like that. So it's, it's great to, great to see that stuff. Be, a, be an Olympic athlete and then, uh, you know, be super successful and then come out, you know, come out when you're, when you're ready to. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I, I dealt with my gender dysphoria, um, by competing in the decathlon <laughs> Olympics as well. Um, that's, that's kind of the common approach. If you, if, if you didn't compete in the decathlon, you're probably not trans. <laughs> Unless you're on a Wheaties box at some point. That's kind of a prerequisite. So, <laughs> do you think that there's uh, so far in the in the kind of media response? I don't know how closely you've been following it, but has there been a big, you know, confused to do about the fact that uh, Jenner is a trans woman and also the, one of the most famous athletes in the world? I mean, they had that really obnoxious moment at the end where the person that Jenner beat was like, "Oh, how did I lose to a woman?" Which was like, I feel like that was like an effort at being really accepting, but also like just came off as kind of misogynist. Yeah, I know. It was like, oh, oh, why did you have to do that, Soviet dude? Come on, but you know, yeah, it but, seems like there's this this possibility for like uh, for for both misogyny and and kind of transphobia or confusion about like, oh, this person who was hailed as like the kind of symbol of masculinity uh is is a woman you know yeah which you know and that's and that's the thing when you look back at it it's like you know what makes this so huge and i've seen people ask the question you know why is it such a big deal bruce jenner and not like lana wachowski or laura jane grace or you know other trans people because lana wachowski and laura jane grace 
aren't anywhere near as big and as culturally known as Bruce Jenner, you know, because when you take Bruce Jenner out of the whole Kardashian stuff, you still have the world's greatest athlete or, you know, whatever it was. It was, it was like the first time that the whole country kind of came around behind one guy to really like, you know, Bruce Jenner was America. So, <laughs> so, you know, it's like this model, this monument to masculinity that now people have to look at, you know, look at this and go, well, okay, maybe things aren't as clear cut as I thought. You know, you have to re question what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and what's masculine, what's feminine, you know, stuff like that, which I think is great and which is something that I kind of try to in my own personal life uh, exhibit. You know, I don't, fall into gender roles, you know, and stuff like that. I push back on that stuff because it's like I didn't transition to because I just want to be a 50s housewife, you know. <laughs> it's it's like that and that's a common thought. People go, "Why can't you just be a feminine man or why 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 isn't um you know, what's wrong with just being a man who likes to cook?" And so it's like, well, like, "Wait, <laughs> what?" It's like there's this mis, you know, this misconception that it's all about like, oh, playing with dolls as a kid and wearing dresses and cooking and basically doing all these things that just reinforce sexism. So it's like, no, that's actually kind of the opposite of what's going on here. So, yeah. And you were tweeting about this that to say, uh, you know, that there's this, and, and we uh, a little while ago we kind of worked our way through this discuss discussion on the show because, uh, you know, in college I kind of learned the whole gender as a social construct thing, um, and and for me as a kind of gender nonconforming person, I found that to be really, <laughs> really liberating and really wonderful. And then we, you know, the, the, then there's this thing where then, like you said, the flip side. Sometimes people follow that through with like, oh well, like why do you need to adhere to gender con construction yeah. like by coming out as trans and you were tweeting about that this is you know being who you are uh, that, that there's a distinction between recognizing that gender uh, expectations are constructed but that 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 uh that people still have the right to feel like a gender and to, to be who they are yeah yeah and, it, and it's really hard to explain i mean it's really hard to you know really explain okay what makes me a woman it's like well i just know i am right. <laughs> you know it's it's not something where it's what makes me a woman well wearing pink and you know doing all of the socially constructed things you know it's uh it's just it's hard to it's one of those things that you can't explain unless you're living it mm -hmm. and then when you're living even though you're living it you're still like i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> half the time i'm just i'm just trying to be me and get through the day and all i know is if i don't take estrogen i feel really crappy and you know stuff like that where it's like <laughs> clearly my body was meant to run on estrogen just based on the fact that i feel sick when i don't have it so and as as one final question, this is more kind of speculating towards the future. But but do, from your point of view, um, do you think that Jenner being out now and 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 this um, this interview, do you think that it has the possibility maybe for like friends or family of trans people who maybe didn't maintain an active relationship with that with that person in their life? Do you think that that Jenner has the possibility to not to create not just awareness but to create maybe like compassion for for do you think people might see this interview and be like oh i should reach out to you know to the trans person in my life who i who i haven't been a part of their life or is that kind of two rose-colored lenses yeah i i really feel like that might just be you know that might be 
really um, wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I feel like people who distance themselves from trans people and, you know, whether it's families kicking the, you know, their kids out of the house or, you know, what have you, it's, they justify it in these ways that makes it really hard to overcome. You know, where it's, well, it's not natural, or I raised you to be a man, you know, stuff like that. And just talking to a few people I know who have had those types of experiences, because I'm, because luckily I, I haven't. Most people who in my life before are still in my life if I want them there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you start to, you know, this is something where maybe moving forward in the future, we'll see fewer families kicking kids out of the house because when you have situations like okay well even kim kardashian can accept this or even kanye west can accept this it stops being something where you can just get behind it and go well most people think that this is nonsense or something like that and especially the fact that you know bruce jenner being a religious conservative uh republican you know it's 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 kind of one of those things where you know a lot of people are upset about that i was like that's great that's fine you know because now it's not just people pointing to you know liberal people and just going oh well it's just you weird hippie dippy (laughs) it's it's like oh okay look you can be religious and still trans trans it's compatible Hey, this is Nelson. I'm calling from Sweden. I'm actually from Baltimore. I've lived here in Sweden for about 19 years now. And I just want to say that as a person from Baltimore, I've been observing what's been happening there in the past few weeks and talking to friends and families back at home. And I'm just really shocked and I'm really proud of, of what's happening there. Because I'm shocked because, first of all, everyone pretends this problem just came out of the blue. We all recognize that this is an issue that's been stirring since since I was born there back in 1968. But, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that we have somebody who's actually willing to take action. We have people that are actually willing to take to the streets. And I want to make sure that people understand that protest is protest. And even if there's a little bit of destruction that goes on, it's, it's meaningless because a man died. A man died for no reason whatsoever. And I just want to say to the protesters out there, Thank you for keeping your calm. I grew up in that city. Let me tell you, there are a lot of guns. There are a lot of guns out there. We could have opened fire. We could have, we could have malayed that entire town, and we didn't. You know, we took to the streets peacefully. Yet the media wants to call us thugs. What they really want to call us is much worse. And there lies the real problem. We are the most feared people on this planet when it comes to the United States. They fear us more than they fear anything else. Having a strong intellectual black consciousness is something they fear. And that's something we need to realize, that they fear us. They fear our action. And we don't have to act as though we are some black militant group in order to get our voice across. But you know what? It wouldn't hurt to let them see the fear that we have to face every day and put the fear into their lives. But we need to get more involved in the political process. 
we need to make sure we have the right schools. We have to make sure we have the right amount of lawyers representing us to get the right litigation, to get rid of some of these supremacist organizations and institutions that are out there. Baltimore, rise up, baby. You got to do it. Peace. Hi, this is Nick from California. I'm calling in uh, about the last episode. One of the things I found pretty egregious was that one clip from This Week in Blackness when the uh, anchor, Ashley Banfield, uh, gave that uh, gentleman, uh, Councilman Carl Stokes, uh, a hard time for his use of the N-word when he was calling out that racial dog whistle. I just found her saying that uh, she uh, was offended by it or hurt by it or whatnot. So completely ridiculous, and it exactly exemplifies why I can't watch things like CNN when they when they can miss the mark on such an important issue at, at a time like that. Um, and I just have a little call to action to your listeners uh, when they hear stuff like that um, and anchors missing the, the point and, uh, and and doing stuff like that on on, show, on mainstream media like CNN to call in and voice your displeasure. I plan to and tell them that's one of the reasons that I can no longer watch those kinds of things are the reason I can no longer uh, watch CNN. All right. Uh, thank you, Jay. Thanks for the good work. Bye-bye. Hey, Jay. Thank you for edition 915 on Black Lives Matter. Very important and emotional topic for me and for a lot of people. I do want to say that this morning... I was trembling with anger listening to V from Western New York's response to your question on the lack of visibility of black women and the question of state violence. His theories revolved around black women, especially dark black women's proximity to media and proximity to whiteness. Well, of course, he's leaving out that the president of the United States is a black man. And black men, of course, throughout the modern media area have been represented. Not overly represented, but that's certainly another topic. I'm going to push back on your theory a little bit of black male masculinity being seen as a threat, as a determining factor in the state violence question. State violence is usually a response, mostly unjustified, to perceived threats, regardless of sex or gender. Cases like Tanisha Anderson in Ohio, or Tania Harris in Minnesota, or the recent case of Alexia Christian in Atlanta, illustrate this very clearly. Police perception of black female bodies as imminent threats led to the use of uneven deadly force. In terms of masculinity, black women have been considered masculine throughout America's history most likely beginning with the arduous labor they were tasked with during slavery. How else could the white male enslaver explain to white women that they were not equal when they peered out their windows to see black women in plain sight doing work typically thought of as men's work? The white male slave master's solution was simple. Deny womanhood to the black woman. Sojourner Tooth gave a speech in front of abolitionists and southerners alike. And as she gave that speech, she said, Ain't I a woman? Over and over and over again. And bared her breast to the audience as the audience screamed and skrilled at her and said, She's not a woman. This is the tradition of this country. 
This labeling of black women as one part animal, one part man, one part harlot has stuck. Dr. Adam Galinsky's Columbia Business School study on race and gender shows that people still perceive black women as masculine. The needle has not moved in 400 years. Black masculinity aside, why has the egregious examples of state violence against women of color, specifically black women, remained invisible? My theory revolves around the media, who presents the narratives, in the communities, who push the narratives. The media has traditionally made quote-unquote black slash negro synonymous with black men. For example, when black men received the right to vote in 1870, the media framed it as blacks won the right to vote. Even white feminists in their complaints of blacks receiving the vote before white women said blacks received the right to vote, completely erasing and ignoring the fact that no woman, including black women, had the right to vote. This pattern continues today. A Hollywood starlet on the Oscar stage implored blacks to fight for women, presumably using blacks, quote-unquote, as a stand-in for black men, erasing black women in the process. The pattern of making black women invisible repeats itself, rinses and repeats itself, rinses and repeats itself throughout history and throughout the media. Whose voices are heard in regards to state violence? Undeniably, black men. Al Sharpton stands at a podium and says, Police have a war on black men. President Obama talks about how black men feel about policing in their community. Those voices are given weight. Those voices are amplified by the same media that has traditionally erased the black female experience. And I don't think it's a stretch to think we, black men, have participated in this process. <laughs> Mainly because of our, of our relationship with a white supremacist patriarchy. You see, under enslavement, the hierarchy of the slave household was modeled after the enslaver's household. That was plantation law in most cases. A good Christian household with a man at the head of it. That structure made the slaves the lowest of society, absolutely, but at the very bottom of society was the black man's black woman. That continued throughout Reconstruction, and that legacy lives on today. By the lack of thought given to the needs, concerns, and the dangers faced by black women daily. Let's talk about the fight for 15. It's mostly women of color and black women. We're fighting for $15 an hour. Let's talk about contraception to limit the amount of children, to limit uh, poverty, to increase living standards. These are affecting women of color, including black women in this country. And yes, state violence is affecting black women in our community. Inside of our community, we say, to speak too loud about state violence against black women is seen as a distraction from the war on black men. 
On the outside of our community, the, reme- the media remains hesitant to spotlight the pervasiveness and the brutality of state violence. To sum this up, I think the problem lies in the intersection of historical racism and historical sexism. How do we solve this? I personally have decided for myself to sit and listen and learn from women of color and only speak up when I see the need. I want to thank you, Jay, for this opportunity to speak. I want to thank you for your work. And I especially want to thank you for the Black Lives Matter episode. You have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Katie Klebusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. And uh, my hope would be that maybe you had a good Mother's Day over this past weekend. But uh, what I want to say today is that I, I recognize that not all of you did. It is an absolute fact. Uh, our very own Katie Kluzik was inspired last year to start a community around the hashtag, uh, hashtag real Mother's Day cards because she counts herself among the challenging mothers club. And so she started that hashtag and it sort of took off and lots of people chimed in on it. And then she wrote an article about her own experience this year. Uh, so in the event that you find yourself in the challenging mothers club and, and maybe find mothers to be uh, mothers day to be a challenging time for you, uh, maybe check out that hashtag and find an unexpected community for you there. Secondly, today I wanted to remind you that uh, the climate hike fundraising is still going on. I'm hiking dozens of miles and in return asking that you donate to excellent climate change organizations. The fundraising, as I mentioned before, it, it starts off slow. It always does. And I checked it today and it turns out it's going better and worse than I thought. Uh, it's going worse because only six people have donated. Uh, so huge thanks to Adriana, Trevor, Mark, Leslie, Anonymous, and Christopher. But especially uh, thanks because uh, things are going better than I thought because with only those six donors so far, I'm already basically about 10% of the way there. So now all of a sudden that $5,000 goal that I set doesn't sound so hard to reach if only six people can get us 10% of the way there. So, uh, you know, as I said, this always picks up at the end. I'm still not panicked yet, especially if I can get, you know, another 50 or so similarly generous donors, then we'll be all set and we can pack this away for the year. For details, go to bestoftheleft.com. There's a big banner. It says climate hike. You go to that. And that is the donation page with all the details of the hike and everything else you could possibly want. So again, thanks to all those who have donated and anyone who's thinking of donating. Uh, let's get that snowball rolling and finish strong in the second half of the month. Now that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccounts.com slash bestofleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and for details on the 
the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode. All that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained We can't see past our own sad stories And wonder what we're missing We can't see past our own sad stories And forget how to listen We can't see past our own sad stories And wonder